Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. Hello, welcome to episode 44 of Broken Records, the solo podcast from the Right Act Network, which searches through the long storied history of music to search for the worst album ever made in the history of music ever. My name is Stephen Hill. I'm joined as ever by my good friend Renfrey Deadman. Renfrey, how are you? Early Hello. for you, isn't it? Oh, it's so early. It's 11 minutes past nine. I can't right. stand being up at this time, but it's fine. We're actually recording on the day that this goes out because mm. we've got a guest. We've got a special guest to talk about the album that we're going to be talking about today. Your friend, my friend, my boss, assistant to <laughs> the boss, the both, editor of Metal Hammer, the editor boss, yeah. of, uh, of Metal Hammer magazine, Mr. Merlin Alderslade. Merle. There he is. How, Hi. How you managed doing? to do an even more laborious intro than I do, Steve. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, thanks, boys. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm honoured to be here. Oh, thank you well, for coming on, man. This is a, It's a real pleasure to talk to you about this record, I think. Yeah, it's going to yes. be good fun. There was only one man that could be... When I think of disappointing follow-ups, I think of you. So <laughs> it's a great event. Cheers, mate. Um, <laughs> that is what I think. Today, we're going to be talking about One Way Ticket to Hell and Back by the Darkness, a second studio album from the old school good time rock and roll revivalists released on the 28th of November 2005. Before we go any further, we should say Renfrew and I have a big hat of about 200 records. We have 43 records already in a list. These records have been picked not because we don't like them, not because we hate them and we wanted to come and shit on them. They're not the Atreyu album. Um, little one for Mel there. <laughs> like Mel rolling don't his start. eyes immediately. <laughs> um, they are picked from their standing, critically, commercially, uh, the uh, fan reaction or sometimes the band reaction or just some sort of weird context that happened around the time. It's nothing personal, guys. It's nothing personal. But saying that, we do have, as I said, 43 records already in a list. I will run down our flop 20, which is the 20 worst albums that we have so far on this list, just for a little bit of context before we go into the album that we're going to talk about. So the 20 worst albums that we have in descending order so far are at number 20, Razorlight by Razorlight. Followed by Viva Brothers' famous first words, Linkin Park's One More Light, Super Collider by Megadeth, The Truth Is by Theory of a Dead Man, Slick Dogs and Ponies by Louis XIV, The Cosmos Rocks by Queen and Paul Rogers, Richard Ashcroft's United Nations of Sound, the Lonely Hearts, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band original soundtrack to the film of the same name, Eogan Quig off of the X Factor's self-titled debut album, Graveyard Classics Volume 2 by Six Feet Under, Blood, Sweat and Towers by Towers of London, Hard to Swallow by Vanilla Ice, that is really high. I've just noticed how high that is. Jesus. Corey Feldman's Angelic to the Core. The Shags, Philosophy of the World. Total Zanarchy by Lil Zan. Bad Blood by Blood on the Dance Floor. One of your favourites, I believe, Mel. You brought that to the old Metal Hammer podcast back in the day, didn't you? Oh, just awful. awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. Um, Methods of Mayhem by Methods of Mayhem. At number three, the True Symphonic Rockestra with Concerto in True Minor. Number two is Uncle Cracker with Double Wide. And still... Still at number one, 
unshakable in its position. I'm not a fan, but the kids like it by Broken Side. But will Broken Side be toppled from the top spot by the Darkness's one-way ticket to hell and back? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Not a chance. But, you know, that's a little bit of a spoiler. Any comments on that Flop 20, Mel? Uh, if Just that uh, I think out. that... I think that Broken Side album title was ironic because Piss All Kids liked it either. So. <laughs> Piss All Kids indeed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't you see Broken Side? Didn't you I went see to see the, the PR who happened to be working them, who's a good friend of all of ours, really. He, he had taken yeah. them on and it was kind of like this band are going to be major and, you know, 99 times out of 100, someone would be writing at such an session like that. But um, yeah, I went to see them at uh, the Borderline and it was barely a quarter full and it was uh, i think one of the members didn't even turn up so it was like two of them and a backing tape and it was, oh, it was so bad oh the worst God. band i've probably ever seen live wow wow so there you go it's not just us being snobby about broken side they are actually rubbish they are actually fucking rubbish objectively vile uh, <laughs> really oh, bad thank you bill <laughs> for, yeah. for you you've, you've learned the terminology and i appreciate that um um oh wow yeah wow that's terrible that's awful that sounds like if you're not even bothered to turn up then we shouldn't give them any we shouldn't give them any leeway whatsoever i don't think well i think it was some kind of customs thing but yeah fucking <laughs> i see yeah. i see okay still and, they're and reprehensible you, people as well you, you probably can guess why you couldn't get through customs as well mm. i would imagine because he was a massive it dick no, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know i don't even know the guy who, who which member it was or whatever i can tell him apart okay okay well having done the research that we did on it he probably uh he probably has a rap sheet as long as your arm of just sort of touching people who shouldn't careful. be touched in places that they shouldn't be touched careful. well that's just yeah careful careful <laughs> but you know if you remember the episode room free they there, did have was, a bit of that there they, was they some, did have a bit yeah, of that yeah, that was yeah. a bit of that yeah Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. Not all no. we can talk about the darkness. So look, um, well, we all know where to start with this one, don't we? The darkness. The darkness's permission to land was one of the smash albums of the early part of the 21st century. When the millennium came along, the early noughties. Um, I don't really want to go too much in on permission to land because I can't say with any degree. I was just sent to Renfrew before we started. We do over on patreon.com forward slash right act podcast, by the way, if you want to sign up for our classic album podcast here, where we do our favorite albums ever. I can't say with any degree of certainty that one day I won't want to do Permission to Land by the Darkness because it is that good, right? It is just a great record. I'm, going to, I'm looking at you in this instance, to be honest, Merlin, more than, than I am <laughs> Renfrew. But Permission to Land is fucking amazing, right? It's one of the greatest debut albums of all time. It's mm. a 10 out of 10 it's it's as good as it gets i saw the darkness for the first time opening the main stage at glastonbury 2003 and it was just before the album came out and at that point i'd only seen uh the only song i knew of them was actually get your hands off my woman i know people always think of i believe in a thing called love with them but they released get your hands off my woman a bit before that and it was doing the rounds on kerrang tv and scuzz and it was just like what is this what is this band? Well, this like cla- young classic rock band. I think we're kind of used to in a post Greta Van Fleet world, lots of young bands doing classic rock, but this is still like a post new metal world in 2003. Um, so anyway, I saw them live, thought they were absolutely brilliant. And then the next time I saw them was the following year and they were headlining Reading and Leeds festival, which shows yeah. you just how huge they got for a moment in time there. Yeah. 
absolutely mental. It was stratospheric and it was so quick, their rise. And actually, I mean, you know, we won't go into it too much. I actually do like Permission to Land a lot. I think it's a fantastic record. Their rise was just unbelievable. Did you see them at that Reading in Leeds when they headlined as well, Mel? Uh, I did, yeah. That was It was actually my first Reading that year. Um, and they oh, were great. I... They were really good. And the kind of, you know, I was still a teenager and I didn't really quite have the, um, I guess, awareness to kind of think how batshit insane it was that they were headlining already. It was just like, oh, the Darkness are headlining because they were a massive band. You couldn't move for them on front covers and all the rest of it. I think they were even on the cover of Hammer at one point. Um, and mm. uh, uh, so it didn't seem like a weird thing at the time. And yet they had like one album, but they put on a really, really good set. I remember they had a great fireworks show and stuff and it was really, really good. And it seemed feasible like that a band like that could headline a festival at that point. And it's only looking back on it that you think... How do they go from opening up the main stage at Glastonbury? Like, think of a band that would currently open up the main stage at Download and imagine them headlining next year. <laughs> like, it's never, ever going to happen. Insane. Well, <laughs> just insane. It'll probably happen with Wargasm if... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think even, even Wargasm wouldn't back themselves for that. <laughs> um, but for a band that only formed a few years, a few stats on Permission to Land. So it landed in the UK album chart at number two then went on to top the UK album chart. It was nominated for the Mercury Music Prize. Like, I mean, we're not even talking about just like mainstream pop fans and grebes who were into this. The Mercury Music Prize, losing to Boy in the Corner by Dizzy Rascal. Um, The headline Reading, as you said, in in 2004. The album's gone four times platinum in the UK. It sold one and a half million copies in the UK alone. Um, And maybe the maddest thing of all is they won three Brit Awards in 2004 for Best Rock Artist, which I thought was the one they were going to win. They just invent, suddenly invented Best Rock Artist and like sort of scrambled around to find four other bands who were vaguely rock-affiliated that they could have next to so they could give The Darkness something. But they also won just Best Band and Best Album at the Brits. The fucking Brits! Who else? Have you got the other, the other nominees there? Because it would be interesting to know... I don't. Do you know what? I can do that, though. Sorry to put you on the spot, but I just thought it'd be interesting to know the context of what was going on in British music at that time. But I've, yeah, I've it got was... it. I, I have got it here. I have got it here. So the black, so the darkness beat Think Tank by Blur, Magic and Medicine by The Coral, Gotta Get Through This by Daniel Bedingfield, and <laughs> um, this is the one, Rent for Life by Dido, which was massive Absolutely in the massive. British yeah. album of the year. Um, so Dido White Flag won Best Single Daniel Bedenfield got Best Male Solo Artist Busted got Best British Breakthrough Act Dido won Best Solo Artist they beat they won British Group presented by Ronan Keating uh, they beat Busted The Coral Radiohead and The Sugar Babes I mean The Coral will stand out a fucking mile in that category don't they um, <laughs> Busted uh, in the Darkness doing well Breakout Year for British Rock so yeah <laughs> <laughs> Coming I from pers- the editor of Metal Hammer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> per- like personally, as much as I, I think it's unbelievable that Radiohead have never won British Group that year. How the Sugar Babes were robbed, personally, I think. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Best British Dance Act presented by Dermot O'Leary, Basement Jacks, Gold. Thought you were going to say Lamar the Dance won that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Best British Urban Act, uh, Lamar. Uh, who beat Amy Winehouse and Dizzy Rascal and Mystique and Big Brothers and outstanding contribution to music Duran Duran thank you best international (laughs) album look at this for a fucking hell this is really oh my god best international album 
Justin Timberlake's Justified, Beating, Dangerously in Love by Beyonce, Stripped by Christina Aguilera, Speaker Box of Love Below by Outcast, and Elephant by the White Stripes. Oh. What? What a category. Heavy that is unbel- unbelievable. Um, Justin Timberlake beat 50 Cent Beck, Damien Rice, and Sean Paul for Best International Solo Artist. Beyonce beat Alicia Keys, Christina Aguilera, Kylie Minogue, and Missy Elliott for International Female Solo Artist. Best International Breakthrough Act. 50 Cent beat Kings of Leon, Sean Paul, The Thrills, and Evanescence. And Best International Group, presented by Lionel Richie. The White Stripes beat the Black Eyed Peas, Kings of Leon, Outcast, and The Strokes. So when you put into it, I talk about the, the noughties being a bad time for music. Uh, that's not a bad Brit Awards, actually. It's not too bad. And I kind of made a joke about rock music being represented and stuff, but like, you know, you've got the White Stripes in there, you've got Evanescence in there. There were a few kind of things happening that suggested yeah. rock was still part of the conversation, at least at that point. Mm. Busted. I think... <laughs> Daniel I think Benningfield. I think it is definitely worth highlighting something that you said earlier, Mel, though, that just in, ca- in terms of the classic rock scene bit, like... Like you say, post Greta Van Flea and or post, you know, there's there's an awful lot of that retro rock thing going on right now. But at the time, like, I think new metal had killed. I, I know that new metal was co- well coming to its end, more or less had ended by this point. But it really killed off any semblance of that stuff being relevant or cool or interesting at all. And so darkness kind of the darkness kind of exploded into this world and and appeared to come from nowhere basically there didn't seem to be a scene there wasn't enough of these classic rock bands for there to be a scene you know they really stood out so i think that's worth just like underlining and highlighting definitely i think also when you think during new metal they'd had a couple of goes at trying to break kind of old school rock and roll i mean i think you know the backyard babies buck cherry the toilet boys Mm you know that kind of the sleaze rock revival thing that they tried to do and it never really took like it never really took at all and then the darkness came along and finally you sort of had something which wasn't really borrowing from the stooges or kind of 80s glam metal or even like you know punk rock or or the new york dolls or whatever it was borrowing from queen and bowie and acdc and thin lizzy and led zeppelin and you were like all oh, right now those bands are much bigger than new york dolls and so, so it, like, to me looking back on it analytically at the time i was like i mean how is this like you say like Mudvayne were you know stained it at a number one album like a couple of years before fucking stained you know like and and emo was becoming the thing pop punk and all that was still massive and they were going with this i suppose the kind of garage rock thing was happening as well but the darkness like in terms of a massive rock rate record like it seemed i mean it still does seem completely ridiculous when you read those things about the, about the brits and everything but i guess because the album was so good you shouldn't really be surprised that the darkness if, if any band were going to break it kind of had to be the darkness because not only were they the best they were the most sort of commercially savvy i think personally is that fair? I, I, I don't think it was an obvious... I, I don't think it was obvious. I mean, the catsuit stuff and all that kind of thing, yeah, got them attention. But um, I think it's amazing that people... And I don't mean this as, in as condescending a way as it's going to sound, um, being brand Deadman as per. But, like, mm-hmm. I think um, I think it was surprising that people took them so seriously in the sense that just how they looked and the fact that it had been so long since anything that 
um, camp, that British, that like totally flamboyant. extravagant and flamboyant had been anywhere uh, uh, like e- even even the revival that was happening in rock music at that time was garage rock it was the, the total antithesis of that so I think I think that was surprising for, for that point of view and P- Permission to Land had had some excellent songs on it like really 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 good songs on it and so they deserved it but it, it was so alien compared to everything else that was happening at that time I think that's fair to say for the most part yeah i agree completely i think i think what what one of the big things that i think you both said that's really important is that the darkness were british and they were so british you know the kind of sense of humor and self-deprecating daftness of that band was something that felt really specific to, to british humor and the way we like to do things and i think that's a massive part of why they took off like they did here because you know, like I said, the first time I saw them was at that Glastonbury and they opened up the main stage and there isn't really a probably a better festival than somewhere like Glastonbury for a band to come and make an impression like that. Um, and I think that was a big part of why they blew up in this country. But even so, it was just... I mean, I don't even know if... Like, short, I mean, I guess unless you count bands like Arctic Monkeys, like I just I can't think of so few bands in the 21st century, rock bands that have had that kind of uh, rise in the time that they did. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it's absolutely insane. And I think it's one thing to be seeing a rock band of that ilk. I mean, it's surprising to see a rock band of that ilk being championed by Kerrang! and Hammer and, you know, getting a bit of a push on MTV too or seeing them on Kerrang! TV or, you know, Scuzz or whatever. But when the... I mean, we'll be quoting from interviews they did with The Sun in this mm. special. The BBC, ITV, just... Main, I mean, you know, when I'm, we're talking about the mainstream, we're not talking about you know sub headlining download mainstream mm. we're talking about the main do you know what i mean the mainstream we're talking about peter k we're talking about coronation street like that's the sort of <laughs> shit that we're talking about here and it was that was what was weird about it to me like it wasn't that kerrang were getting behind this band and they'd become big in the rock scene they had become big for, as big as literally anything that was going on in the country everybody knew who they were you didn't have to even have to have a vague interest in rock music but you knew the kind of crazy cat suit high-pitched falsetto voice band like you just everybody did i remember i mean i remember friends of mine at the time who had just no, expressed no interest in any rock music whatsoever in fact some friends who had sort of ribbed me for liking you know slipknot and and bands like that at the time coming to me and being like you know this band the darkness right they're absolutely incredible and that was very confusing and ever so slightly irritating for me personally because i was like you've been mocking me for liking slipknot for the last four years and i, I mean i know slipknot and the darkness are, are a world apart from each other but you know they're within <laughs> the same realm and these are people who like mm. had only ever expressed an interest in alicia keys uh <laughs> you know or something like that and it's just like this is really odd I, like it's it's great but it's odd you know it was a strange thing um, yeah it yeah. was it was a strange thing um so anyway i did say we weren't going to go too much into permission to land and we've sort of gone into it a little bit anyway but i think i think a little important it's important for context um but uh the darkness on tour in 2004 in la met the famous record producer roy thomas barker now 
he's the man who produced albums by the likes of Motley Crue, Devo, The Cars, Alice Cooper, and probably most famously of all, his four-album working relationship with Queen. He did Sheer Heart Attack and Night of the Opera. So he produced Bohemian Rhapsody. He's such a famous, such a famous producer. You, um, you uh, said his name. Got his name correctly. wrong. I said Bar- <laughs> it's Baker. Yeah, ba- yeah. Baker, Roy not Thomas Barker. Baker, sorry, no, yeah, Roy yeah. Thomas Baker. Yes, yeah, sorry, not Roy, Roy Thomas Barker. Um, I did write down Barker, and then I was like, "That's not right, is it?" But I said. Well, anyway like a, he's like a re- fucking idiot related to travis so you know that makes sense <laughs> yeah that makes sense um now roy thomas baker hadn't actually produced an album in six years his previous a- effort had been attention please by caroline spine you guys like that album attention please by caroline spine listen to it every day yeah <laughs> i'm just pulling a confused face i don't know yeah i don't i don't know, what, I don't know what that is i don't know what that is to be honest. i will caroline say spine's Whilst the record hadn't been released that Roy Thomas Baker produced um, uh, for six years, he had been working away behind the scenes with uh, Mr. Axel Rose on Chinese Democracy, of course. Yes. Um, but yeah. that wasn't released for several years later. Yeah. No, no, no. And uh, Merlin might be back for that one. You'll be, when that comes out of the hat, you'll be back on here with us doing Chinese Democracy as well, aren't you? We've got you in for oh, all well. the expensive, bloated rock albums we're getting Merlin involved For an expensive, so, bloated man. Thanks, man. Please come back. <laughs> please come back for Chinese Democracy because I, I know you love that record, but I Oh, yeah, if you think I'm going to come out, not to be not to spoil this podcast, but if you think I'm coming out swinging for a one-way ticket, you just wait till I get started on Chinese Democracy. <laughs> yeah, I was going right. to say, I, I, I actually think Chinese Democracy is a, a fantastic record. A very, very good record, I would say. Yeah, I like it a lot. So, um, Yeah, he's also worked a lot with... He's done a few of the later Smashing Pumpkins albums as well, Roy Thomas Baker after this. Um, so he's worked with Axl Rose, uh, <laughs> Freddie Mercury and Billy Corgan. <laughs> so he doesn't mind difficult characters, basically. He's good uh, at managing egos. <laughs> yes, I think so. And he's got a certain production style um which we'll get into he described himself in the darkness as kindred spirits uh, there's a really really great piece on uh, soundonsound.com where he kind of talks through the making of this record and i'd known and had known for a while that this was a fairly kind of bloated recording process but i'm not sure how much you guys really know about the recording of this record some of it is fucking staggering i'll go into that now um he said justin and dan are pretty unique song writers they can churn out a song a minute we had what seemed like thousands of songs the whole purpose for me as a producer in being there was to work out what the best parts were and to help evolve them we were working on arrangements uh we were working arrangements out as we went along and ended up with very clear ideas of what kind of arrangements that we wanted they went into rockfield studios where baker had previously recorded bohemian rhapsody hoping that the magic from those sessions would uh would kind of come back for this Permeate, um yeah, yeah. Uh, by all accounts they worked tirelessly on the album the drink and drug problems that plagued the band in the aftermath of this record which led to a lot of the breakup and stuff that we'll talk about uh, a little bit later by all accounts were not present at all um baker said that they worked continuously and only went out for dinner a couple of times during the first couple of weeks in the first couple of weeks they did nothing but complete drum tracks which sounds kind of mental to just work on the drums i guess for two weeks solid but then i guess i don't know it's, that does happen doesn't it it's not unheard of um i certainly i can't remember the length of time off the top of my head but the black album you know the drum tracks were being worked on for weeks and weeks and weeks before they did anything else that was an album i mean they were in the studio with that record for around nine months though if i recall um yeah so yeah. similar sort of time with this one i think oh, is it? um mm. yeah so uh he said 
one set of drums are set up in the coach house live room on top of the stage that the band uses on the road. So the bass drum was halfway between the floor and the ceiling, equidistant to all eight corners of the room. And we had ambient microphones in each of the eight corners, plus close microphones and overhead mics. Typically, we would use 36 microphones to record the drums, but we'd have nearly double that amount set up. For a couple of tracks, we'd put a drum kit outside in the quadrangle parking lot which resulted in an unusual ambience with a slap echo coming back off the brick stables. So 72 microphones to record the drums. Uh, that's... Uh, I don't know. How how many microphones would you normally have to record a drum kit? Maybe uh, 10? As I uh, guess? I don't know. You'd have, you'd, have, you'd have a bass, a kick drum. Kick drum. Mic. You'd have couple probably... Symbols. You'd have a couple of. Um, you'd have a snare, uh, one yeah. on the snare, surely. Yeah, yeah. And then you have a couple of ambient ones. I mean, yeah, you're looking at between eight and ten. Usually. Yeah, yeah. So, so seventy-two feels like a bit more than you your, your normal band would have. It's excessive. That's the word we're looking for. Well, thirty-six. Uh, oh, sorry, seventy-two mics to record a drum kit. You. Yeah, it sounds excessive. I'm not. I'm not. The, I'm not a foremost drumming expert. That sounds like a lot. It's just funny. I'm sure you'll go into more of this, but it's just so interesting to see a band that was so uh, kind of self-deprecating and fun and silly and kind of poking fun at a lot of the ridiculousness of rock music. Kind of fall prey to the kind of Spinal Tap esque nonsense that just did over so many bands that they were semi-parodying in the first place you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean I, the, I don't think uh, the dinosaur are a parody band they're not like steel panther but they're certainly you know a big nudge nudge wink wink tongue-in-cheek band and it's very yeah, odd yeah, to yeah, think yeah. that they just yeah went on the same ego trip that a lot of the other uh artists before them went on yeah in honor of the darkness we are actually recording this podcast on 72 microphones <laughs> well um the guitars were next uh, uh roy thomas baker says oh of course there are at least 120 guitar parts in many of the songs a lot of people play one guitar from beginning to end of the track but we didn't do that dan has a lot of different guitars and so we went okay the first half of the verse sounds good on guitar but why don't we change to a different guitar in the second half and then go back to the first guitar for the chorus but in a different tuning or with different strings or a different amplifier or a different microphone and so on by the time we multi-tracked all of those we ended up with 160 guitar parts on a good deal of the songs if you listen closely one set of guitars will come in and then a totally different set of guitars and then yet another set of guitars in some places there may be a bunch of 100 guitars that come in for just two seconds allegedly dan hawkins always had between 40 and 50 different guitars set up in the studio ready to go at all times guitars lads can you hear some guitars on this album to be fair (laughs) yeah not not enough that I went, I would, I mean, I like this album a lot, but I wouldn't go, oh yeah, you can really hear the 78th guitar on that bit of the track. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And th- this album does sound like, not to get into it too much, but this album does sound huge, as you'd expect from a Roy hmm. Thomas Baker um, uh, production job. But um, it, it kind of, you know, it d- doesn't sound as huge as you are kind of like, it, it really sounds, there must have been a point where, the extra guitars that they were putting on were probably surplus to requirements, I would imagine. I would, I would imagine so, yeah. Um, just to sort of finish, to round it all up, we'll go to the vocals as well. Justin Hawkins laid down over 160 vocal takes for the song Blind Man to create a Russian choir and a 10-part harmony. Hey. That's cool. I didn't know. I mean, there is that harmonising in there. I, didn't, I wouldn't have mm. thought. I mean, I guess that doesn't sound too... 
unrealistic 160 takes for a vocal track you do hear a lot of stories about people going again and again and again and again and again yeah. so i'd say that's the slightly less ridiculous stat of them all but <laughs> and i guess you can kind of justify it with the effect he was going for but yeah. it's still a lot in it it is still a lot it's a lot i have that to admit I, I didn't know that quote-unquote choir was justin hawkins that's kind of cool i i, I mm. assumed they like uh, hired a choir so that's cool yeah after a year of working on the album at the studio, um, Baker had to whittle down 37 songs, 400 reels of tape, and nearly 10,000 tracks to just 10 songs and 35 minutes of music. When the band were asked what they had learned from Baker during the recording of the album, Justin Hawkins is quoted as saying, more is more. That is what they learned. But that's so funny to have all that. And then, because even when I was listening back to it this morning, I thought, oh, it's only 10 tracks. It's quite quick. It seems there's some cognitive dissonance there between the excess of putting it together and coming up with quite a streamlined 10 track album it's quite weird yeah. that but permission to land was very streamlined as well though it was roughly the same length i think which i think is one of yeah strength permission to land would have been recorded in a, a like a maybe like a month for very, in, on, a, on a on a, an indie label with absolutely no hype or expectations surrounding it so I think it came that's... out on it came out on um, Atlantic. It's not an indie label. <laughs> oh yeah, it did come out. On Atlantic, <laughs> it came on but, out Atlantic. But, but yeah. on me and get your hands off my woman were both recorded prior to that, and sure. they were released uh, when they were on their previous label, whatever yeah. that label was. Yeah. So, but still, regardless, I mean, I don't think they would have been spending. Uh, I mean, we'll get to. <laughs> they told the Sun in an interview the fucking son an exclusive interview that the album would cost over a million quid to make yikes mm. that's quite a lot um so basically you're looking at like like we've sort of said a quite an, an excessive recording session over a year-long period um i don't necessarily think that's the problem with this record i think what else happened during the recording of the album was that the uh their loss of their iconic bassist frankie poulaine who was replaced by the band's guitar tech richie edwards not that one during the sessions now this caused a little bit of a kerfuffle in the press the reasons given were the classic old musical differences i mean why wouldn't the darkness go on in as many rock cliches as possible you've got to have a, somebody leaving with musical differences right so um that happened um the nme i found a thing from the nme uh that when he left frankie they just did a thing going oh he was our favorite member which seems like a really childish weird thing to sort of put in your magazine but they did do that and i think this for me is where the sort of roller coaster starts to go down because frankie leaves and they're going the people who probably didn't really care about rock music but liked all the sort of funny stuff around the darkness would have gone, ah, look, there's like a sort of deep purple man, but he's got a moustache, he looks a bit like a pirate. Lol, rock on, guys, rock on. And suddenly that guy wasn't in the band anymore. And they were like, ah, oh, well, move on to the next thing. I think this might have played a bit of a part. I'm not saying, you know, he's only the bass player, admittedly. But I think he was quite an iconic looking part of the darkness and quite an, uh, an important visual thing for the darkness. Right, Frankie? Yeah. I think certainly in the sort of camp stakes and, um, that, that Tash was very, very iconic. And in terms of the, uh, the, the, the sense of humor almost that they employed, um, deadpan. He was really good. Mm. He was a really good sort of deadpan in, in all the videos, wasn't he? Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, I think it says a lot about how many um, casual fans had taken up the Darkness's mantle at this point, because, and, and again, this isn't meant to sound disparaging, but but um, if you casually get into something, it is kind of here today, gone tomorrow sort of thing, which is, I think, the overall story of, you know, between Permission to Land and this record of, of essentially what happened. Um People, the, those people that I was talking about who had shown no interest in rock music whatsoever, loves permission, permission to land, but by the time this album had come along, they'd moved on to something else. Um, but I think that added to that. I think what you're talking about there um, in To Save the Enemy, um, I, yep. I think that's, uh, that's a, a striking example of that kind of attitude. Um, because, you know, with the greatest of respect, it's, it's just the bassist like <laughs> you know it's not the most important thing in a band like this you know uh, were you were you sad when frankie left mel do you remember that um i don't i can't say i do specifically i remember him leaving i can't specifically say uh, what my exact reaction was but i would imagine the age i was at the time and stuff i, pro- I probably would have been a bit like oh that kind of sucks because you know I, i've never really sat and talked about how great the darkness's bass lines are to be honest but at the same time he was an iconic member of the band, and after the Hawkins brothers, he was easily the most identifiable. And you, do, you did kind of feel like you lost a little something just because um, he was part of what made that band really uh, iconic and identifiable. And so, yeah, I think it was a bit of a shame because, you know, they are a fucking brilliant rock band, The Darkness, but they also have a very strong aesthetic and they wouldn't have been the same mm-hmm. without that. And he was, uh, he was a part of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, a few months after leaving, he broke his silence to say that he had not left, but he had in fact been sacked. Uh, again, telling the enemy, against my wishes, I've been forced out of the group. The Darkness HQ, where Justin and his partner reside, I have gradually been frozen out over a long period of time. The reason for this is not yet clear. Certainly nothing to do with Justin's solo album, which I think is a great idea. In any case, it's inevitable the truth will come out in the end. So he did actually say the album was incredible uh, as well he was like the album's great when it comes out you're going to love it and i've been working on it but people were furious how could that lovable cat suit wearing chap sack the funny one with the the mustache what the hell come on this is meant to be entertainment you can't do this blah 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 i do remember people being oh, quite grumpy when that happened as well so i think that kind of plays into people getting a bit annoyed with the darkness and also the other thing the other thing is that while all this was going on, weirdly, Justin Hawkins did go solo already, um, which I thought was a bit much at the time. I remember thinking, why are you doing a solo project in between your debut album and your second album? His solo project was called British Well, and he had a bit of a hit with the cover of Sparks' uh, Mighty and Immortal, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us, which... um, which charted in August 2005 and got to number six in the UK uh, singles chart only a few months before One Way Ticket to Hell and Back was released, which is kind of weird. Do you remember this, Mel? I don't remember this at all. I don't actually remember this either, to be honest. I was just looking at it now. Um, That is mystifying. When you've got one of the single biggest British rock debuts within decades... It is, yeah, it's a pretty mystifying decision to go and pursue a little solo project before you get your, you know, all-important sophomore album out. Yeah, I think it's really weird. And I think, again, it kind of contributed to the feeling that Justin Hawkins' ego was out of control a little bit and that the joke was getting a bit old with the sort of build them up and drag them down British tabloid press and the, you know, the flavour of the month type people that you were talking about before, Renfrey. The attention span of those sort of people that, 
were kind of ironically drawn to the darkness i think they were getting quite bored it was a case of a little bit of overkill i think with the darkness because they'd gone from like we said opening the main stage at glastonbury winning a load of brit awards releasing this album winning a load of brit awards headlining reading having a christmas single as well let's not forget in 2004 oh, yeah. they had a christmas single which absolute was banger absolute banger that was before then, this record was it yep ah i got that wrong in my head timeline yeah okay yep and then justin hawkins goes solo and then six months later you know it's a lot it's a lot of stuff to happen in a very very short period of time do you remember Um, the solo song steve i do i remember phil the power taylor in the video uh the darts player so it's justin playing darts with phil the power taylor it's a pretty rubbish shite cover i mean faith no more did that song uh, and did a fantastic version of it and I think it's a great song, but Justin Hawkins' version of it is not good. And I remember at the time thinking it was the first time I'd heard anything connected with the darkness where I was like, this isn't very good. This is right. not good. Um, but, you know, anyway, so I think that probably, I th- there's just the omnipresence of Justin Hawkins is kind of, I think, played into the fatigue of people so that when this record was coming out, um, yeah. Anyway, the week before the album came out, the title track was released as a single, reached number eight in the UK singles chart, and sported a video that sees Justin Hawkins dressing up as a pig devil, a penguin, the band riding schemabills, eating takeaway curry on top of a mountain, and running away from an avalanche. It is good old-fashioned, darkness-esque fun. Do you remember the video for that song, uh, either of you guys? Now that you've said it, I do, yeah. If you'd said off the if you said to recall the video off the top of my head I wouldn't have done it, but when you said the penguin suits, I was like, Oh yeah, I do remember that actually. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I mean, you know, it's not their best video, but it is pretty funny. Um and we'll get into whether or not the song is good in a little bit. But um let's go and have a little look at some of the reviews. What did the world think of this album when it got released pitchfork gave it 6.5 saying it may benefit the darkness to cheat over queen's shoulder even further on these points after all a night of the opera was famous for having everything from mini operettas to fey pop uh, minutes to heavy metal thunderstorms the band would do well to learn that they don't always need to be cranked up to 11 to convince people of their honest intentions that they can only ride the non-dynamics of full-on excess so far before their music starts to all blur together into one big sheet of falsetto multi-track screech otherwise the band runs the risk of becoming the joke they insist they aren't honest intentions or no um alternative press gave it five out of five calling it the best Def leopard album that mutt lang never produced spin gave it four out of five calling it a more toned down strikingly sincere at points follow-up q gave it four out of five calling it the same album only more so mojo gave it three out of five and said they may be a group that believe in a thing called love happily they don't believe in a thing called restraint the guardian gave it four out of five saying one-way ticket is at his weakest when the jokes take precedence over the music the tale of a man who loses his hair and his sex drive bald isn't much of a song although it has one line in the late the late ronnie barker would have been proud to deliver the protagonist asks a chemist for something to stimulate his follicles and reverse his diabolicals it's a good joke but even the best jokes don't bear repeated listening a great song however is worth hearing over and over again one way ticket has both but there's more of the latter than the former the darkness it seems may have the last laugh uh rolling stone gave it three out of five saying one way ticket to hell and back is a classic case of a hot band with a hit debut 2003's permission to land running headlong into the sophomore jinx nme gave it two and a half stars saying this perpetual desire to show off is hawkins weakness and one-way tickets ultimate downfall entertainment weekly uh, called it a one-way ticket to hell period and the website tiny mixtapes 
gave it a zero literally zero out of five review a terrible quite embarrassing review which has aged about as well as a pint of milk left out in the street in new orleans in august um it says the darkness are to music what the wwe is to wrestling hawkins i mean oh what an insult <laughs> like what the big the, the biggest <laughs> what, a what? Weird thing to say. <laughs> as our wrestling correspondent mark can you try and pick that apart <laughs> uh the darkness are is he trying to say the darkness are the biggest most successful widely renowned rock band of all time <laughs> yeah um, Hawkins, reputed to be the best-looking lead singer since Mick Jagger, uh, is right to hold reservations about Americans confusing the message of the opening title track. Though, understandably so, it's supposed to be a music. It's supposed to be a quote-unquote music, my anti-drug type of song. I don't know if it is, but after the Ricola pan flute intro, there's a really keen stereo. Uh, stereophonic straw sniffing medley which dissolves into the typically derivative hair metal guitars all too eerily remembering the late 80s era of spectacular coke use and the fashion intelligence and music that discharged out of it the cover itself depicts a train that seems to be heading out of a meatloaf bat out of two back to hell so this project is next to impossible to take seriously when you think about the likes of 50 cent you can see the darkness are probably just a bit of harmless fun, but so is jerking off, and that won't cost you 15 bucks. Either way, just make sure we can't hear you. So that guy's going, oh, this is rough, with the likes of 50 Cent hanging around. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I don't know to start no, with no, that. mate. I don't know. And if you read the whole thing, which I suggest you don't really, because it is as I'm, I've read it as is, and it's full of errors. Um, and uh, he compares them to Nickelback at the start as well. I mean, they don't sound like Nickelback, do they? Not vaguely. No, Nickelback have like done Nickelback. a couple of songs that I would say sound like The Darkness, not the other way around. Yeah, and I th- and I think Nickelback for the most part probably did those songs later in their career, didn't they? Uh, like, yeah, by the time they're doing yeah. like Burn It Down and all those kind of yeah, big stompy yeah. songs, it was yeah a few yeah. years later. Mm. Uh, the album peaked at number eleven on the UK album chart, which is a bit of a drop, and obviously, and ni- actually, madly enough, this album is their third highest charting album as Hotcakes, their 2012 comeback album, went in at number four. This is actually the third most successful Darkness album in that respect, although it has still gone gold in the UK. So, there you go. That's all the the guff about the record. But, what's our verdict? Um, I'm going to go to you, Mel, first. Mel, what do you think of One Way Ticket to Hell and Back by The Darkness? I think... It's a fucking great album, actually. I think, I mean, it's following, an, it's, it's, it's living up to an impossible task, really, because it's following what I genuinely think is a 10 out of 10 debut. There's not a bad second on Permission to Land. It is so stacked with great songs that if they were strictly playing a greatest hit set, you would demand that most of the songs off Permission to Land are on it. That's how big that album is. So it's kind of doomed to fail in many ways but I still think that in its own merit One Way Ticket to Hell and Back is a great album like I like pretty much all the songs on there I actually was listening to those snippets of reviews that you read not the last one obviously Um, and I think there were some very uh, spot on remarks in there because I think that One Way Ticket is a surprisingly um, kind of emotionally raw album at points as well there's there's moments that are quite affecting in it that kind of come out of nowhere whether musically or lyrically and they get kind of hidden in all the jokey nonsense to where they kind of get undermined a little bit um the uh one of the reviews mentioned bald and how 
it's just completely the song is almost kind of just undermined by its own lyrics because they're just so ridiculous and all over the top <clears throat> excuse me it's a song about male pattern baldness but as an actual track I think Bald is a phenomenal song. It's like so epic and heavy and urgent and huge sounding. I think it's musically, it's one of the best songs I've ever written. But you, it's hard to kind of connect with a song that sounds uh, so huge, but whose lyrics are just, I mean, he's literally singing about male pattern baldness. Like you can't really, you can't really engage with it on an emotional level beyond, ha ha, he's singing about wow. bald people. <laughs> Well, well, I can't. You two can't. <laughs> <laughs> you two can't. Uh, but but there's, like there's a, moments a of real kind thing of, um, uh, beyond all that kind of silliness. There's moments of quite like there's moments of sweetness in here. Like Daily, Dinner Lady Arms is a ridiculous song, but it's actually quite a sweet song as well in its own weird way. Um, and Girlfriend as well is quite a cute song. Um, there's like it, it's a weird album because I think they couldn't get past themselves on this record, and so you you never know quite where to engage with it and how to engage with it emotionally and lyrically and everything else. But in terms of just producing great fucking spot on rock and roll songs, I think this album is still better than ninety nine percent of modern bands doing classic rock, um, of which there are now many in. The, the music scene and I don't think 99% of all those bands that are around now haven't produced an album as good as this one for me I think it's a great record Renfrey? I think that last point you made Mel is actually probably certainly true yes even though predictably I don't feel quite as passionately about this record as you do um, I, I think the review that you read out Steve that uh, chimes with me the most was the Guardian one where they were talking about at it's, it's at its weakest when the jokes take precedence over the music um, there is uh, my the overriding um, issue with the record for me purely on a musical basis or the content of the record i think with permission to land it's a very very um fine line between with the humor in terms of like how silly you go and we kind of talk about this a fair amount on on riot acts we talk about like sort of um going too wacky and going too over the the too over that line there's a, there's a certain line that you have to ride i'm not saying this gets too wacky but i think there's times it felt more like a knowing nudge, nudge, wink, wink on permi- permission to land. Um, but I think on One Way Ticket, they've really tried to embrace the humour and it's actually to their de- to the detriment of the music because it's it's it goes from being knowing, cheeky, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to we're like comedians almost. And sometimes this record is genuinely really funny. Um, I think Bald uh, is an example, actually. And actually, I do agree with you, Mo. I think Bald is a a brilliantly written song um, and one of the highlights of the record. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I I felt like um, opening the record with pan pipes feels like a joke, but but like already a joke too far kind of thing. And that's like the first few seconds. Um, And then that outrageous sitar solo is kind of like okay like it's kind of amusing but actually that solo probably would have been better if you'd done it on a guitar like it probably would have sounded better with the song and but you've made it with the sitar just to get a cheap laugh like the first time someone hears it and then after that every time you listen to it you're not going to laugh at it you're just going to think probably would have been better if it had a guitar on it you know um and maybe they should have concentrated on writing great songs rather than chucking lots of cheeky British humour in there. I think there are a th- I think 
I, there are two or three great songs on this record, in my opinion. Um, but Permission to Land had like seven great songs on it, I would say, seven or eight. And this has two or three, in my opinion. And then, the, and then the rest of the songs are like, yeah, they're okay. They're okay. Yeah, yeah that's my feeling. I think this album is fucking great. It's not as good as Permission to Land, but I don't actually think it's not a million miles away. And at its best, I think it's often on par with Permission to Land. I think the opening track is beautifully absurd. Beautifully, ridiculously, knowingly absurd. I think them leaning really hard on... uh, this This is, for me, like... I know I bring up the streets quite a lot when I'm obviously talking about Enter Shikari or whatever, but I think the streets suffered from this thing where Mike Skinner was a bloke chatting about having burgers and kebabs and going out for Stellas and trying to pull birds, and that's why everybody who did that sort of thing sort of chimed in with it. But he was quite knowing as well. Like, do you know what I mean? He felt like he was slightly removed from that on original pirate material and you know, it's maybe slightly to a lesser extent. I think he's probably doing a character on a, a grand won't come for free. But then when the streets became, in, when Dry Your Eyes Mate hit and the streets became huge, Mike Skinner was then forced into, just to be honest with his own life, because that's what he'd been doing, he was forced to write songs about, oh, I'm a celebrity now. I'm a celebrity and I have to write stuff about being a celebrity because that's my truth. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And But that isn't going to chime with people as much because not many people can that kind of honest earnestness that the streets had that people related to was kind of gone and i think although it's a completely different medium it's a completely different style of music i think what the darkness did on permission to land was go we are you know it sounds like an album of people in a garage a garage a garage or in their like rehearsal room living out their ultimate rockstar fantasies and then they got to live those rock star fantasies. And this is the white Bentley into a swimming pool, living in a big English country manor follow up to that. And I think, you know, it's going to, it means that it is probably less relatable than Permission to Land, even though I'm not sure that the kind of bomb, the bombast of Permission to Land was even sort of super relatable in the first place. They were just great songs. But I actually think I, I like the kind of overblown pomposity of this record it feels like the se- it feels like a natural progression and kind of the sensible thing to do when you think where the darkness were and i think for the most part most of this is still got the thing that i love about the darkness in it joyous i mean the opening track joyously catchy quite funny it's about coke yeah ah, ha, ha, we take loads of coke like yeah, yeah 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 but they don't oversell it i mean i don't i think you know the sitar thing the pan pipes at start they're ridiculous but and the you know and then obviously the the line of coke being snorted it's obvious but i don't think it's obvious in the same way as like i love the fact that you said they don't oversell it and then you named all the things that oversell it <laughs> yeah but i don't i don't think that's overselling it i don't, i think that's making it making it very very clear what's going on yeah but i think it's i think it's kind of they throw it away they throw the line away it's nice mm. beaver thanks i just had it stuffed mm. it's not fucking you know like l storm 
would make this song. Ah, and then we took loads of cocaine. We took loads of cocaine, cocaine, coke. Sniff, sniff, sniff. <laughs> I took loads of coke. Like that's what they do. That is right? true. But the, dark, yeah, but the darkness don't do that. It's really obvious what's going on, but yeah. they seem completely unaffected by it, and they've still written a great song. You get, you know, um, the the I love what you done with your hair chorus on Knockers is amazing, and the southern guitar bit in it is great. And that ACDC stomp over Justin Hawkins just emoting, if you want to call it that, it sounds great as well. I think, is it just me? Is it just me might be the best song The Darkness have ever done. It is absolute fucking gold, that song. It's got such a big chorus. The snare on its own. I want to give you my love, my love, my love. It's absolute perfection. And the video for that. Again, I think backs my point up. It's really funny. Justin marries himself in a wedding. You know, it's very, it's very I Want to Break Free by Queen. Like, Richie, the bass player, is dressed up as the bridesmaid and stuff. And all these people are like, The Darkness are a joke band. It's like, have you never seen Queen? Have yeah, you never listened to Pink yeah, Floyd? Yeah. You've not listened to the Beatles. Like, this is what British rock music is. Mm-hmm. Like, even, we, you know, we spoke at The Wall, which is a super, super, you know, serious, dark, oppressive massive rock opera and we still went oh there's bits of monty python in it mm. british rock music is ridiculous it is mm. you know and that's before we even get into acdc and Alice, like a, you know a bloke in an acdc or alice cooper t-shirt going the darkness are a disgrace to rock music because they're not being serious it's like mate you're wearing a t-shirt of a band with a song called big balls <laughs> like what are you talking about this is what this music is like and yeah, Angus you know, Young there, get like pulling his pants down in a school for you for this definitely <laughs> yeah, serious business. Yeah. It's like they, 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 you know, they, they, oh yes, ACDC, those famous like politically minded, uh, like making their music to kind of. I love that song they did about the Cuban <laughs> Missile Crisis. <laughs> yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, very much like a serious thing. I think "Is It Just Me" is is the first great song on this record, in my opinion. Oh, it's um, amazing. It's and in the video, song. it's like this sort of lovelorn bit. And the, I watched it. I was like, "This is really funny, right?" There's a bit where Justin Hawkins is looking out the window wistfully in the rain, like a kind of you know, all like soft focus, like sexy music video. And he's eating a flake, <laughs> and you just and you just go like, and he doesn't go like, "Look at me, I'm eating a flake." He's just eating a flake, right? Now, if you know, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, if you remember the flake advert from the eighties, you know. Yeah. But Elstorm would go, flakes. Look, I'm eating a flake. Remember the flake advert? Whereas he's not, and I think that's the kind of differentiation between, and why this album rarely bothers me. I mean, the first three, three for three, absolute rager of an opening. I think Dinner Lady Arms drops a, a little bit, but I do like you say, Mel. It's a sweet song. You know, it's a it's a really sweet song. I think there's bits like the ba- like for me the ballads like it seemed like a good idea at the time. I don't think it's a strong suit particularly doing ballads. I don't really care for that thing that much in general, but I think they're quite good at it. Um, I think they're quite good at it as well, and, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. That's got a genuine little strain of melancholy running through it that kind of catches you out a bit when you really listen to it, um, which is which is a bit at odds with you know a lot of the other stuff that's going on on this album but there are there are genuine emotional strokes on this record i think that aren't there quite as much on permission to land it's just quite hard mm. to decipher them all in amongst the silliness mm. i mean there are parts in this where i go is this too silly like hazel eyes i'm like is this too silly the bagpipes it's a bit hey diddly the hey nonny nonny 
Do you know? But it's just massive. I thought uh, so. Hazel Eyes is my second song, which I think is great. <laughs> I, I really love Hazel Eyes, and yeah, I don't. I, I, I do. I don't know. I love it. I love it as well. But I like. I like all the songs on this album, so I'm, I'm easy. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think Justin Hawkins doing a Scot- a bad Scottish accent just made me. I, I I was in fits of giggles with it. I thought it was really funny, <laughs> and it's just really massive and catchy. It's well, actually it? a huge song, yeah, yeah, huge yeah. song, yeah. Um, and you know that kind of Queen and Cheap Trick vibe to Girlfriend, I think, is really infectious. I think English Country Garden is another one where I'm like, is this too ridiculous? This might be too ridiculous, but again, it's got a bit of that bombastic, ludicrous sparksness to it. I think English Country Garden reminded me of Sparks. Um, and Blind Way, Blind Man is a very sort of silly OTT way to end the album. Again, I'm, that's one of those I'm not that fussed about that. But I also want to say, I mean, I listened to the special edition on Spotify. Grief Hammer as a bonus track, which isn't even on the album, better than about 98% of the songs that we've ever featured on this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say Grief Hammer is better than, than a lot of the songs on the record. Yeah, that's um, great. I, I, <laughs> better than most of the songs we featured on broken records, maybe. Um, so about Wanker. <laughs> <laughs> wanker was very disappointing i saw the i saw the title i was like oh i'm looking forward to this this could be really good and, and i don't think they uh i think they could have done a lot more with wanker than they actually did but grief hammer's great i'm i'm stunned it's not on the record i think that's yeah. very surprising to be honest yeah 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 it is it is really surprising um so yeah i mean i think it's good i'm going to ask you to you might you get sent this for hammer we're reviewing it for hammer out of 10 what do you give it out of 10 Oh, what's the? Are you asking Winfrey? No, no, no. I'm asking Mel, both of you. No, you go, you go first, Mel. What's the? I know. I don't want to labour the point, but what's the context? Am I getting this in in 2005? Am I getting it now? Do you know what I mean? Because it like oh, so when it today, get you get it today in email. Dude. I mean, you know what? Actually, I don't think that really matters. I think I think it's if I was getting this now, if this came out now. I would still consider this one of the better, if not one of the best albums that would have come out this year. Um, I don't think you can escape the context in which it came out, really. But I would still give this an 8 out of 10, I think, because there's not a there's not a song on here I, I really don't like. And if anything, I really, really, really like the mass majority of this album. It's not. It's certainly not perfect, and I don't think it's as good as Permission to Land. And to me, Permission to Land is a 10 out of 10. So, like... From that point of view, it's got to be a significant step below that. But I still think it's fucking great. So I think I'd, I'd weigh in with an 8 out of 10 for me. Renfrey? Um, I would give this a 6. Uh, because there are a fair... There's more songs on it that I don't like than do like, if I'm totally honest. Um, and that sort of thing that I was talking about with the sense of humour and the very fine line that you have to tread. I do think they get it right at times. And there's other times where I'm just like, the joke does wear thin a little bit. I think the other thing I will say is um, this is a record in terms of the way that it's structured and the way that it's put out. um, You know how bands often will do a follow up, which basically mirrors 
um the the previous album almost exactly in terms of structure so a classic example would be ride the lightning to master of puppets um this is another one of those one-way ticket has exactly the same structure not just the fact that it has 10 songs um they both have 10 songs each but also sort of you know the ballad the big ballad on permission to land is lovers only a feeling and the big ballad on here it seems like a good idea at the time and i think when you do those like for like comparisons individually with the songs in my opinion, I think it does show up that One Way Ticket to Hell is 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 a drop um, from Permission to Land. And I personally think a, a bit more of a significant drop than uh, either of you, I think, in my eyes. So just to take one example, I won't go through the whole record because that'd be very boring, but seemed like a good idea at the time, is not a patch on Love Is Only A Feeling. No, I'd agree with that. Not a patch on it, you know. Mm. And and, and I think there are other examples. Um, If I was marking this, yes, I'd give this an eight. I mean, I was contemplating a nine, to be honest. I think there's very, 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 very little about this record that I don't like. And I think it sounds really, really good. But before we rank it, where are we going to rank it? Um... It kind of all goes... The, the, the reason why this is here now, even when I read the reviews, mixed reviews, doesn't really feel like this should be in Broken Records, really. But it all goes to shite straight afterwards. For the massive lift that they had, the drop was just as steep, I think. Um, the mainstream just dropped the darkness on their ass, and the rock fans, as I mentioned, were quite snobby to them at this point. You know, which I always sort of found pretty hilarious, really, you know, like I've already said. You like Van Halen and Judas Priest and Def Leppard, but you think this is stupid. Like, I don't really... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, you've not seen that I want to break free video. Like, what the fuck? Um, so rock fans are suspicious and pop fans have had their fixed and just throw, throwing the horns and poking their tongue out. And the tour that followed didn't sell out or sell as well as hoped. Um, Planet Sound did a kind of retrospective thing or followed them around on tour and they called the album the world's most expensive penis joke which I think is how it is sort of broadly seen in the main by most people. Even though, really, there's not many penis jokes on that record. There aren't, no. It's mainly mainly about, yeah, male pattern boldness and, and dinner ladies' arms. Yeah. I would um, also say, just for the record, just because I've been uh, uh, not as nice as you guys, I would say I don't think this album is a broken record at all. And I don't no. I don't even think it's a bad album. I think it's it's I think it's a... Uh, an okay follow-up to what was an absolute rager um and and i totally agree i think the only reason why this is in this list is because because of the drop um not even in quality um but the drop in sort of popularity and um this this is one where you know it's the customer's fault the customer isn't always Mm. right it's the it's the fans fault that this is in in here you know it's it's not it's not the darkness's fault i don't think at all well i do and maybe not the darkness's fault the certainly it certainly doesn't deserve to be in a, a series like this on musical no. merit but in terms of the overall reaction to it i do think the darkness justin the people around them however you want to put it do have to take some kind of responsibility because it feels in hindsight like something like the darkness wasn't built to last as a major mainstream kind of like attention grabber but at the same time this album came out like two two years and like four or five months or something after permission to land i think that's about a year longer than it should have taken to come out because i think if you come out you know a year and a half after permission to land let's say with with one-way ticket as your lead single really hit the ground running 
and continue that momentum. I do think the Darkness's story might have been a little bit different, but two, the, you know, the better part of two and a half years, that's a long time in the music industry, a long time. And I don't think they helped themselves at all um, by doing that. You know, all that stuff, which I didn't really even register, like Justin going and doing a solo album and all this kind of stuff. I don't think that helps. And I think, um, you know, they never would have done another Permission to Lance and they never would have been the bands that was kind of the band of the moment again. But... I think the drop-off might not have been quite so steep if they'd been a bit better at getting that second album out and riding that momentum out. I think that's a brilliant point. Momentum is very important when it comes to these... It didn't hurt Guns N' Roses, did it? No, No, true, true. Come on, okay, I mean... But Guns N' Roses was a genuinely game-changing album and they went fucking supernova and they went on that tour with like Metallica eventually and all that kind of stuff. I just think the world was still built for a band like that at that point. Um, it's a very different time. But yeah, yeah no, I'm not, so yeah, there are plenty yeah. of examples where bands have done that, but I think the darkness was a different kettle of fish. They were treated like an oddity and a kind of funny little kind of, yeah, novelty is the only way to put it really by the mainstream. And I think they could have still been that for a while longer than they were. I don't, I don't see why, you know, Justin, Justin Hawkins as a, as a character, I think could have been someone that was popping up on award shows and doing stuff and being a kind of major character in the mainstream for longer than he was. I think. Yeah. Yeah. There there weren't many people who were treating guns and roses like a novelty um, um, between appetite and, and use your illusion, you know, all that stuff about most dangerous band in the world and stuff. People really believed that and that they probably were at the time. Um, I think even, uh, I think a lot of the darkness's fans were treating them as a novelty, you know? Mm. Um, so, so I think they're very different. Um, I mean, yeah, the main thing as well is, is that after, but like kind of, even though they took this massive time doing it, they were working the whole time. Justin did his solo stuff. They were doing a Christmas song. They were touring loads. You know, we yeah, said about for... headlining Reading and whatnot. That's true, actually. They did put the Christmas song out. So they did have something quite significant out in that period as well, actually. That's, that's important. And people still loved them then. Like, that did really, really well. And people still loved them. Got to number two, did it not, I think? Yeah, yeah number did, two. Yeah. Um, but, but just a couple of, you know, a, a little less than a year later, uh, it had gone. People went And Justin was gone as well. Justin went into rehab and left the yeah. band. Yeah. Like, less than a year after the release of this record. He said, I feel bad for the others in the band. He told The Sun, again, unbelievable. It will be an upheaval, but it's time for me to move on. It would be damaging to my recovery to stay on. I'm not blaming the band for my problem. I am an addict. There are people who can be in bands and stay clean, but I'm not one of them. I actually looked at a video of them on youtube doing is it just me on cd uk when it came out a single and justin hawkins the tongue waving leg kicking uh guitar spinning grinning frontman of you know those top of the pops um uh performances is replaced by quite a kind of weirdly somber person like i don't really you know obviously i do know what's going on but now you know that you look at it i mean probably at the time you wouldn't have paid that much attention to it but there's a bit where he just goes good morning you're having a nice time like right in the middle of it and then when everyone screams he almost sort of rolls his eyes so you can tell that he was probably getting a bit burnt out by it all um the darkness carried on with a little bit apparently frankie Poulain was tipped to come back and front the band which would have been mental but richie edwards who had taken over on bass came in as a front man and wisely they decided to change their name to stone gods who released a i think a fairly decent day i really like that stone gods album i really like that stone gods album it's good. I, I went to see them on that tour as well, and they were they were a decent, um, very kind of underrated and overlooked part of the Darkness story, I think. And I, and I probably like that Stone Gods album more than anything the Darkness have done since, actually, which is a bit weird. But 
Um, Justin carried on as a solo artist for a bit and he did the band Hot Legs. He popped up for kind of Eurovision entries, unofficial England World Cup songs and a few other kind of fairly tacky, kind of jokey shite. And then The Darkness returned in 2012, subbing Def Leppard at Download 2012, which was a great set. I think me and you were talking about that the other day, weren't we, Mel? 2011, that was, I think. 2011, um, sorry, yes, 2011. But yeah, it's funny because we were talking about... Um, uh, festival lineups and that 2011 lineup it hasn't really gone down as a classic for downloads but every time I go back and think of that year all I think about is me and all my mates just singing our asses off for the darkness because just enough time had gone for them to feel like oh yeah remember how fucking great the darkness were because it was like eight years since permission to land at that point um, and they were great and people went wild for it and unsurprisingly it was a very uh, permission to land heavy set but um, yeah, they were great. They were great. And uh, I think it's a shame that the album that followed that reunion wasn't all that. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, they don't really feel like they're much of a concern really anymore, do they, The Darkness? They've just kind of fallen into, ah, yes, another one of those fairly comfortably uh, mid-festival afternoon slot nostalgia old school rock bands. I mean, I, I was surprised. I was surprised to learn that they're on their seventh album. Like since their mm. their reunion, they've been releasing. I mean, they're going to release the record. But they're releasing Motorheart. Oh, Motorheart will be their seventh album. Sorry, which as we record this is out in a month or a couple of months or something like that. Um, you know, and and I I do remember receiving. Um, I remember receiving hotcakes and listening to it, mm. and you know, it's okay, it's all right. Easter is cancelled. I remember being really pleasantly surprised by like much much better than it had any right to be i think um and i i thought i'd just have a quick look at where they're playing these days the last set they played was december the 18th 2020 at the indigo 02 um so oh so i guess that must have been that must have been some sort of live stream thing live stream surely yeah um I mean, if you, if you, yes, it was a, a lockdown live stream, streaming of a white Christmas, it was called. I mean, if you look at the songs that they play from each uh, record, Permission to Land, they play 10 songs. So they played the whole of Permission to Land. Easter is, is Cancelled, which was their album at the, t- at the time. They played six. Last of Our Kind, two. Pinewood Smile, two. Hotcakes, one. One Way Ticket to Hell and Back, one. Can you guess which song? Title track? Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, so... How can they not play? Is it just me? How? That's that mad. mad. That is mad. Don't know. Um, but anyway, you know, it happened and it was big and then it wasn't big. We might one day do a classic album on it being big, but this is the like, it's not really the album's fault. Definitely not the album's fault. Um, so I guess we've got to come to, to, to rank it at this point. Now, Merle, you don't really have that much of a say in this, unfortunately, but do feel free to back me up when I suggest Bullshit, I put this. <laughs> yeah. It's not democracy. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say it clearly this is the best album we have covered on this podcast and it's not even close it is not even close I went and listened to our so far best album that we have on that list and that is Self Portrait by Bob Dylan yes all one hour and 14 minutes long of that messy album the covers of The Boxer and Blue Moon the first half of Weird doo-wop country music a handful of cool boogie songs and a few decent live tracks spread over one hour and 15 and 15 minutes uh it is nowhere near as good as this album easiest thing we've ever done this is bottom of the pile or top if you want to put it uh that way the best album we have done by far 
not even close i'm writing it in right now because there is no <laughs> other place that it can go do you think it's better than naomi campbell baby woman yep much better oh wow oh wow okay um i mean for the record i was going to uh suggest that it go uh at number 32 between cute is what we aim for and tim machine i don't think there's that much point though because it seems like steve's overridden my decision so i suppose i, I i'm the end. stunned that you genuinely could look at me in the face and say liz fair and her hot white cum babylon <laughs> zoo with their one song lauren That's hill it. babbling uncontrollably for eight minutes dd king not being able to rap in the slightest oh, but that's so way. much fun so much fun but so is this um the transform man by william shatner a bloke doing shakespeare in a silly voice um tin machine just nothing and i mean lou reed and metallica lou, like i love lulu but you can't listen to 80 minutes of Lulu and go, no, all of this is really good and necessary. And, and oh, I don't uh, think Neil, that. Neil, I just prefer it to Neil Young. <laughs> Neil Young. Everybody's rocking by Neil Young. A load of rubbish, like, rock, rock and, and roll, roll covers. covers. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, ha, ha, ha. I fucking uh, I strung up the bloody record label. How funny. But, yeah. I mean, really, really, Renfrey. You haven't got a leg to stand on here. Well, this I... Is, I prefer all of those records. I mean, I mean, the 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 the, the fact is, as I prefer all of those records that you just mentioned. But um, uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not actually I don't feel passionately about it enough to really argue it. And I and I totally understand uh, it being placed at 44. And like, I, I think this is I think for the for the good for the great moments alone, which this record does have at least three or four great songs in my opinion and you know out of 10 um i think i think it is worthy of a of a decent placing to say the very very least um yeah yeah here's what i'm gonna say we said a few weeks ago spaceman by babylon zoo is the best song that we have featured on this podcast and it remains so (laughs) it is now probably just making the top five because there are four at least four songs on this record that are better than spaceman is it just me? Is thirty times better than Spaceman? <laughs> you've done the you've 40, done the fifty. That's times, number one. Hundred, hundred times better than Spaceman. Your, your views on Spaceman by Babylon Zoomel? Uh, yeah, it's a fucking banger, isn't it? it yeah, it's is. fucking great. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Okay, well, look, we're not going to agree. Um, but once uh, you get over the disappointment of it, not the full song, not being the kind of squeaky high pitched sped up. No, no, silly boy. No, you can't come back on here again. <laughs> You're not that, allowed. Sorry. I'm gonna have just to find someone yourself. else in Chinese democracy. <laughs> <laughs> just talk, just, just talk yourself out of ever being asked back on this podcast. Well, I'm then don't worried. blame me if Chinese democracy gets a kick in. <laughs> I tell you what, no, I, I don't I, think it will. Here we go. Here we go. You can put one way ticket at the uh, um, mm. at forty four, but Chinese democracy will go. Um, below uh, below it in, in terms of I don't think be... so no it absolutely fucking will mate. and Merle's so. going to be there and he's going to back me up you so... say below right, as in it's better... going to be seen as a better album it will it will be the better album yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no not yeah it's going to be close not it's going to be close well not I don't get a say I... apparently so what do I know <laughs> no no you'll get a say we'll get you back in you'll get you back in I, I th- like for me like I, I, I anticipated this happening so I listened to a bit of Chinese Democracy and I can't honestly say that i mean how this this album is perfect little like 35 minutes and chinese democracy goes on and on and on yeah it's glorious 
Oh, it's glorious. I mean, it's There's like, nothing. I'm, I'm also, also going to flag this up. I'm also going to flag this up, Renfrey, as well. You don't like ACDC. Like you, when, we, when you got, yeah, you'd probably put, if we were doing Broken Records and you stuck um, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, you'd probably have that below, like, Lulu, Lulu and Bob Dylan as well. Um, no, I don't, I don't dislike ACDC. I just don't like them in the way that everyone else is. I'm just ho-hum about them and they yeah, write the same I, song. Yeah, but I'm just saying, that, like, for, you know, like, obviously, you're going to prefer Bob Dylan because you like and I'm, look look i'm not saying the darkness is better than bob dylan i'm not saying this is blonde on blonde better than blonde on blonde or highway 61 revisited i'm not like you know i'm not mad i'm not an insane person i'm not saying the darkness one way ticket to hell and back is better than fucking blood on the tracks like i'm not saying that right i'm not saying that you know that he's better than lou reed's transformer or the knockers than- is better than maggie's farm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm not saying that i'm saying this particular record you know and i'm not saying like this is better than the miseducation of Lauren Hill. I'm not saying yeah, yeah, it's better yeah. than we Master know, of we know Puppets. You're not saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that this record is definitely better than the. You know, I like. Uh, there was bits on Self Portrait that I was Steve, like, "This is really good." It can go number four, forty-four. Sorry, number forty-four yeah. on the condition that Chinese democracy will at least be forty-five. It's as simple as that. So when we come to do Chinese democracy, my friend, that is going to be lower. It's as simple as that. Well, I think and Mel's got to really go. Make... Mel's got to go, so we have to do that. <laughs> That's I'll the I'll gladly it's be. come back for Chinese democracy. Though, yeah, oh, I mean, we... it sounds like I'm not going to have to be on the defensive about it. I'm, I'm used to being on the defensive for Chinese democracy, but I, yeah, I love that album. But we'll get to that. Not with me. Time. Not with me. Well, look, I'm picking it. You might, you might be back next week, mate, because I'm picking another album out of the hat. So we'll see what we're getting next. We'll see what we, what we are getting next week. Oh, it's all gone down quite rapidly downhill. We're getting one by Fisher Spooner. Don't even know what that is. But okay. I know what that <laughs> is, but it's not as big. Do you, you know Fisher Spooner? You're a bit of a, a electronic. I I man. do know Fisher Spooner, but I'm not into. Uh, he's that more kind of uh, weird, kind of yeah. dissonant, like kind of dance chin, music. Chin I'm not really strokey, into. Chin stroke dance music. You can't really dance to. Yeah, it's not my <laughs> it's not my kind of thing. So I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about that album or why it would be in this okay. list. Dance music well, that anyway. you can't dance to sounds like exactly my kind of thing. <laughs> I, I like a lot of that stuff, to be fair. Okay. Um, and I actually have liked a little bit of the Fisher Spooner stuff that I've heard, but it's in the list for whatever reason. I guess we'll find out next week. Cool. Anyway, thank you very much, everyone. Oh, the other thing I did want to say, one last thing about The Darkness, One Way Ticket to Hell and Back, and what I think sums up the mainstream attitudes towards it. The, I, I couldn't find this on YouTube, but I definitely remember seeing it. I think it was Lee Mack. I think it was Lee Mack. He's a stand-up comedian, obviously, who did a joke about One Way Ticket to Hell and Back, right? And he's going, hey, you seen The Darkness? have just released a new album. It's called One Way Ticket to Hell and Back. Surely that's a, that's a, that's a return. And everyone laughed because... But it's like, yeah, that's the joke, you fucking idiot. And I think when, when the mainstream are making jokes about you that are jokes that you yourself have, have done... He's just explaining the joke of the Darkness album, but those people were so thick they were taking the Darkness totally at face value. And at that point, it's like, well, you, you just don't get it at all, do you? You just don't get it. Um, so Lee Max shit and the Darkness are good. <laughs> See you later, uh, Mel. <laughs> Mel, thanks for coming on, mate. Thank you. Man. Thanks for having me on, lads. Really appreciate it. An honour to be here, and uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to be back for the big one. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, this is just a precursor to, to what we're actually going to be doing. The big do one, Fieldy's Dreams. <laughs> 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 All right, lovely. Thanks for listening, guys. We will see you with Fisher Spooner next week. <laughs>